Hello, my name is Karen O'Connor and you are listening to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, the podcast that looks at all aspects of women's lives from hormones and health to relationships, finance and social justice issues. You can connect with me on social media at at karen.mmn. If you enjoy this podcast or podcasts in general, and you've been wondering whether you should start your own podcast, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is to start podcasting. Now let's get right into it. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Dr. Steve Jasper. Welcome, Steve. Hello, Karen. I've been looking forward to talking to to you. you because... It's you are the jet lag guy. You, your expertise is in jet That's lag. That's correct. And yes. coming up to the holidays and people going to Europe, going to visit family everywhere, all around the world, jet lag has become something that I think as we get older becomes more noticeable. But just talk to me Absolutely. about how you got into it. And yeah, what you're doing now, I think, is a, a good place to start. Okay. Okay. How I got into it, it's a very, it's a lot of left turns, shall we say. So I started off life as a pharmacist and I worked as a pharmacy, mostly in hospital, but a bit of retail pharmacy, corner chemist shop for about 10 years. And then I got moved into the pharmaceutical industry and I fell into a role and I, I literally fell into it. I did not expect when I was hired or when they were hiring me, I did global travel, like the crazy global travel. Basically, I had a boss who came to Australia, said, no, I hate it, you do the travel. (laughs) So that's how I ended up traveling. So it was go to America for a week and stop by London for a few days while I'm in the neighborhood kind of thing. And my craziest trip was to go to Buenos Aires for three days, which is a long way in a lot of time zones. And it was four flights there and three flights back. So that was what I was doing. And there was no conversation to how to manage your jet lag and how to do that. There's no, there was no conversation and there's still no conversation. So while I was in the pharmaceutical industry, I did a, an executive MBA, got that. And then I was looking for new roles, new challenges, and nothing emerged that I wanted. And a bit of a random thought came to me, I'll do a PhD, as you do. And I was looking for what field, and then I mentioned my travel and jet lag, and everyone said, yes, you should absolutely study that. So that was what my PhD was in, jet lag and executive performance. So working across time zones and global teams, which I had a lot of experience in, having to chair meetings at 2 o'clock in the morning because everyone else was overseas on the other side of the world. And so I fell into it a bit, and look, that was fine, but it's really my passion now. And I'm absolutely passionate about managing jet lag, negotiating jet lag, and having a conversation out there for employers to support their staff who travel a lot. So that's what I'm about. So that's how I do it. And that I'm a consultant now. And I have people who travel frequently and say, hey, how do I manage my jet lag? So that's my background, how I got here. Like I said, it's a series of left turns. But I'm very glad I'm here now. When you talk to businesses about jet lag, this is really interesting because it's something I've never thought of until you said it just then. But when you're going, when you're traveling <laughs> for business, it. 
the jet lag must be really impactful on people's performance and their ability to actually do anything and be be a normal person if you yeah. you jet lagged. <laughs> There's two components to that. The f- first of all is the outbound. And you, right, you rightly say it can have an impact on performance, an impact on how people function. And an intriguing thing that kept up, I did a series of interviews for the first part of a PhD and then I did a survey. But in the interviews, I had a set of questions that I would base my interviews on. And the phrase running on adrenaline kept coming up. And it's, that's intriguing. Ooh, what's behind that? So running on adrenaline, and let's say you go to America or Europe, wherever, and you're running on adrenaline, you do what you have to do. Then there's the return component, and that seems to be when jet lag kicks much harder. And it's not due to the direction of flight. Direction of flight has an impact, and I can talk about that in more detail. But it's there have been, these people have been running on adrenaline, and they come back to Australia, and they absolutely fall in a heap. They're out of sorts, they're grumpy. And if they're in a relationship, they're not pulling their weight in terms of being able to be there for their partner or there for their children. They're just grumpy and out of sorts. And it puts a real strain in relationships. So what I was discovering, it started off as performance coaching, but really it morphed into relationship building, which was another left turn I hadn't expected. I had people say to me that my wife hates it when I travel. And she hates it when I get back and I'm out of sorts for two weeks. So that was intriguing. It was that return component that is really where the jet lag is brutal for a lot of people. How does that impact people with families? And where I'm coming from with this is I remember taking my four kids when, when they were young. I think the eldest was 11, the youngest was one. Actually, it must have been 10 and one. And by myself, and when I came back after a 24-hour flight back from the UK and a month in the UK with these four kids and everything, I was just, I think I slept 17 hours straight. (laughs) Yeah. I can completely understand that. I hope your partner was very supportive. (laughs) But often the, the partner who remains behind can feel like a single parent because that one of them's gone away for a week, two weeks, three weeks, they've come back, they're out of sorts for another week or two. And you can have that deadly conversation, like if I'm going to live like a single parent, I might as well be a single parent. It, it's, it's a real, there's a real danger there. And I don't think we've looked at enough the impact on jet lag and relationships. There's a real impact. And as a result, people get burnt out. They go, no, I'm done with this. I want to save my marriage. I want to live like a normal human being. I'm just going to leave this job and find a role where I don't travel so much. That was what some people did. So that's, people get burnt out. They leave the roles and they don't need to be burnt out. If we have that conversation where employees who travel are supported, then they don't get burnt out. They don't get exhaustion. They're present with their families all of those things that you really want. And it has that impact, not just on employee performance when they travel, which it does, it absolutely does. But when they return, you've got that work-life balance because it really, frequent travel is a real bite into work-life balance and you've got to replenish that. And I think that's been overlooked as well in the conversation. 
So what actually causes jet lag? And are there certain kinds of people who are more susceptible to jet lag than others? Yeah. First of all, we all have a body clock. That's why we're hungry at certain times of day and sleepy at certain time, other times of day. That's why we don't eat pizza at four o'clock in the morning. That would just not do our bodies any good because we're not built for that. We're what we call diurnal animals as opposed to nocturnal. We respond to sunlight in a positive way. We're awake during the daytime and asleep at nighttime. Very simple. When you cross multiple time zones, AM becomes PM becomes AM, and suddenly you're awake and alert in the middle of the night and sleepy in the middle of the day. You, you've disturbed your body clock. So that's what jet lag is. It's the body clock. It's not the exhaustion of travel. That's something else. It's the actual the body clock is out. You're out of sync. And that's what you do. And then you've got to realign the body clock as you can if it's plausible. If you only go to London for two days for a meeting or something, there's no point in aligning your body clock to London. You just stay in Australian time and do what you have to do and come back and you're good. In terms of certain people, there's a couple of factors. The first is how much of a morning person or an evening person you are. And that relates to the direction of travel. I'm a night owl. I like to be up at the crack of noon. That's how I roll. When I fly to the UK or Europe, I'm good. I get on the plane, get off the plane, I'm good to go. I had a conference in Paris a few years ago, and an international management conference in Paris. You haven't had catering until you've been to an international management conference in Paris. I got off the plane, I was good to go. I knew on return, because east for me, east is a beast and west is best, that I had to throw everything I knew at it to actually manage my jet lag, which I did, and I was fine, but I, I had to throw all my tools at my jet lag coming back. If I was a morning person, it'd be the other way around. The people who are up at 5 a.m. jogging, they find flying west more challenging and they find flying east easier. So that's the first thing, the whole morning, evening thing. And when you think about it, it can make sense because I'm a night owl, my body clock runs a bit late. And if I fly off over to London, I have a long night. I stay up late and then I sleep in. Easy for me to do. Not so easy if I was a morning person. The other thing, and I don't know how much, how advanced we are, is how rigid the body clock is. Some people just don't seem to like their body clock shifting much. Other people, you hear of them, they, they land, they get off, they're good to go wherever they go. So there's that rigidity in the body clock, and that's a little harder to train, and I, those people are more prone to jet lag whichever way they fly. So, But I'd like to see more data on how rigid or malleable people's body clocks are. So what you were saying then about Easter Beast and West is Best, that's the one you always hear around jet lag, isn't yes. it? But it's not necessarily true. Not necessarily. It's mostly true. And I'd say it's, it's true for the, the majority of people. But like I said, the, the real early morning, and, and I've got a, an app coming out which categorises you how much of a morning person you are. If you're a real early bird, that's going to be the reverse will be true for you. But that's for the real early birds among us. So and what, what's a real early something bird? Something to bear in mind that somebody who gets up at oh, four, you know, the people. Five? 
But up at five, yeah, I, I know someone who'd get up at five and his wife would forbid him to get up any earlier because he'd be up at 4.30 <laughs> and he'd be up at five raring to go. So those people will find east easier and west harder because, again, it, flying east, you have to go to bed a bit early than wake up early because the day seems to shrink. For those morning people, that's easy for them. It's not so easy for the rest of us. Whereas going west, you have to stay up late. That's very hard for them. It's going against the grain. <laughs> you said you were talking about that you had to use all the tools when you came back from Paris, all the tools that were available to you. Yes. What tools yes. are they? Yes. Look, the big one I used was sunlight. Because we're diurnal animals, sunlight wakes us up and we're built that way. There's receptors in our eyes that have nothing to do with vision but contract the daytime. And I spoke with a young man who went blind a few years before. He was 16 years old and his optic nerve just packed it in. That was it. And so he was legally blind, had the white cane, the whole thing. But he still knew when it was daytime and nighttime. He couldn't see it, but he still knew because those receptors were still working. And those receptors send a message to the brain, hey, it's daytime. Switch off the melatonin, which is the normal hormone we produce. It's daytime. What I did was got out in the sun, and luckily it was sunny. Even if it was overcast, that would still work. But I got out in the sun, I got the sun on my eyes, and I did that frequently. That's the biggest thing you can do. Get out in the sun, take your sunglasses off for a few minutes, just get some sunlight on your eyes to tell your body, hey, it's daytime, let's wake up. That's the biggest one. I also did use some melatonin to help me sleep. I didn't need anything stronger. I wouldn't want anything stronger if I, I could avoid it, but mainly sunlight. And then, of course, when it was nighttime, stay away from anything with blue light, the blue-green light, like a computer screen. That will wake you up. So if you notice, a lot of computers have either a, a night mode or a dark mode. Mm. The dark mode is obviously dark. The night mode is reddish because the reddish light doesn't wake you up, but the cool colors do. So those are the tools that I used coming back from Paris to keep me awake during the day and asleep at night. So what actually are the impacts of jet lag? Because where I wanted to go, I wanted to go into the relationship side of things now and how it impacts you. Mm. So what are the actual symptoms of jet lag? What, what impact does it have on you? Look, it has a variety of impacts. The obvious one is daytime sleepiness, nighttime insomnia. That's the classic jet lag that we associate. But also things like brain fog, lack of clarity in thought. You have lack of, it can have an impact on your emotional well-being. People can be irritable. It can have all sorts of mood things. And then you get some quite serious ones. They've looked at frequent business travelers, cardiovascular things, diabetes, gastrointestinal disturbances. People think uh, they've picked up a nasty stomach bug when they've traveled. What's really happened is the jet lag has affected their stomach. I'll give you an example. A friend of mine flew from London to Melbourne some years ago and said, I'm in Melbourne. I'm on Melbourne time. I'm going to have a big breakfast because it's breakfast time. And he was ill. He was violently ill because even though it was 8 a.m., his stomach did not register that it was 8 a.m. His stomach thought it was 3 a.m. or something. And he was just, no, this is not for me. But those stomach bugs, that could actually be jet lag. 
But those darker things, the moods, mood irritability, because people can be quite irritable. And I think a lot of the plane rage that we've seen, I suspect a lot of that's jet lag. They've flown across, they've cancelled, they're on their last flight, they're on their last nerve. And I think we've seen lots of cases of plane rage. I think people do need to take responsibility for their emotions, but I think a lot of it's jet lag. That could be it. But those darker things that we've seen, increased risk of cardiovascular disease, increased risk of diabetes, that's a little bit scary. And I think we need to look at the well-being for that. So those are some of the symptoms of jet Those are the big ones in terms of jet lag. So why does it impact your body in that way, is that it impacts your, your heart and your mm. blood sugar levels and everything? Why is that? It's your body clock. We run to a body clock. Our body runs to a schedule. We do certain things at certain times. We digest during the daytime. We don't digest late at night. That's why you don't eat cheese before you go to bed. You get nightmares because we're not meant to be digesting then. Certainly not something like cheese. So your body does run to a schedule. And when you throw that schedule out, it throws the body out. We are creatures with a body clock. And we, we just have to acknowledge that it's part of our biology. And so it has all sorts of effects in all sorts of places when you throw the body clock out. And the body clock isn't unique to humans. There's an academic who researches jet lag in horses She's based at the University of Kentucky, which is near where they have the Kentucky Derby. And they have, which is similar to the Melbourne Cup, big one of the big horse races of the world. And they have jet lag treatments for horses. And I, I've seen them, shine, yeah, shining lights, shining blue lights into the eyes of horses so the horses wake up. That's the sort of thing that happens. Horses have a, a different circadian rhythm to us. They, they need about three hours sleep or less. That's why they're so skittish. But that's the sort of thing you're looking at. Even plants have a circadian rhythm. It was discovered in plants centuries ago. The plants, the petals of flowers will come in at night. And even if you put them indoors in a cupboard at nighttime, they'll still come in. It's very basic biology and we tamper with it at our peril. Even daylight saving, and I, I know researchers who research daylight saving, and that one hour for the first two weeks after a change to or from daylight saving, there's an increased risk of heart attacks and accidents. So absolutely, we need to take our body clock seriously. And it's interesting you say that because as you're talking, I'm thinking this is something that I don't think any of us really give any credence to. It's just, oh, I'm a bit jet lagged. I'm a bit tired. Mm. We don't actually think that it might be having a significant negative effect on us emotionally and physically, do we? No. But it certainly does. And we are creatures of the clock. And the other thing, um, one of my passions is what I call chronodiversity. It's called chronodiversity. We expect people to work nine to five. And I think the pandemic has disrupted that, which is fantastic. One of the positive effects of the pandemic is that we've disrupted that nine to five. People work when they want to work. I certainly don't want to get up, put on a suit and tie and commute with everyone else and go to an office at nine o'clock in the morning. I absolutely do not want to do that. I don't think clearly before 10 and I, I don't, I just respect my body on that. Now I have a role. My morning class is 11.30am. Technically it's morning. <laughs> That's fine. There are people who do 8am classes. I 
no longer available for that. So respecting our body type and respecting our chronotype, whether you're a morning person or an evening person, respecting that. And I think there's been a lot of disrespect to us night owls particularly, especially in the business community. Yeah, it's that homogeneity that is required that I think a lot of us are realising it doesn't work. We've all crammed ourselves into this little box that's expected of us without actually being being able to identify the impact of that. Yeah, and it is genetic, so there's not a lot you can do about your genes, probably not at the stage of gene slicing, splicing therapy just to become more of a morning person. But even if you think of the saying, early to bed, early to rise, makes man healthy, wealthy and rise, there's a real stigma against night owls there. There is that real stigma there. Oh, you're lazy, you're sleeping in. If you've been working up till 2 a.m., you can have a sleep in. I think that's doable. There is that stigma there, and I think we need to move past that instead of having people fit into these crazy boxes. The craziest I've seen, teenagers are typically more night owls because one of the things that this changes with age, if you've ever been the parent of small children, you you have morning people. Sleep-ins just don't happen anymore. If you've got small children, no. Whereas when you've got teenagers, what happened? (laughs) what happened they're not up and bubbly at 6 a.m anymore so there's that shift and it's an age-related shift but teenagers certainly don't perform well in the mornings and exams we've seen that multiple data that they're not let them do their exams in the afternoon they'll perform better and the u.s state of louisiana has students starting at 7 30 or 7 15 a.m starting school I would not want to navigate algebra at the best of times, let alone 7.30 in the morning. I'm just like, I wouldn't be present for that. The wheel's spinning, but the hamster's dead on that one. (laughs) So let's go on to, there's a couple of places I wanted to look at. One of them is, I suppose they're both related. In a business, what can you do to support your employees who are doing a lot of travel? What is the impact of those employees when they get back? Because you said earlier they fall in a heap. And the other thing I was going to talk about tied in with it is the impact it then has on relationships. So how does the person manage this and how do the people surrounding the the traveller manage everything as well? few things. Look, the big one, first of all, allow employees who travel to have breaks and go outside. I did business travel and I'd be inside. I'd arrive at the office at 8.30 a.m. or whatever local time. And then morning tea would be inside and lunch would be inside and after two. And then finally, at 5.30, I'd get outside and the sun would be set. I wouldn't see any daylight. Really smart thing to do is to let employees go outside. When I went to Buenos Aires, the thing that saved me, absolutely saved me, I didn't understand it at the time. My first day there... They said, hey, we've got a meeting. We're going to a restaurant in Recoleto. It's about a kilometre away. We can take a taxi there, but do you want to walk? I'll walk. And luckily, it was a lovely sunny day. So I got that sunlight on me, which I really needed in Buenos Aires. I just arrived the day, the night before. So that's a simple thing that can support employees is letting them get outside and get some sun. Second thing that would support is delegating. 
some of the people I interviewed, one of them was doing a 15-hour workday when she travelled, right? Checking emails before work, then going in, spending a full day with clients, checking emails after the workday, then going out and entertaining clients. The fifth, it's crazy that people who are already physically stressed are doing these crazy 15-hour days. So that's just not workable. It, it really is not good. So having a delegate and then saying, this person will cover them and only the delegate contacts the person traveling. The delegate handles everything else back on the ground. So they don't have to worry about what's happening back in Australia. They can fully focus on where they are and what they need to do. And if there's anything that they need to do or any decisions, they can be contacted by the delegate at a prearranged time. So that's two big things. The expensive one, if you can afford it, have them fly business class. Some companies allow it, some don't. Some say you need to fly X number of hours, whether it's five hours or eight hours. I went to an Asia-Pacific conference for my company and I was the only person flying business class because I flew from Australia. I looked after Australia and New Zealand. So, you know, everyone else was doing short hops for two or three hours and I was doing 10 hours. <laughs> so I got to fly business class. That's If your company finances permit, that's nice. But it's a nice to have. But those first two things going outside, having a delegate, and they're increasingly expensive as you go. That first one's free. The second one, there's a bit of a cost in terms of uh, employee labour, and the third one's probably the most expensive. But that's three that come to mind for business travellers to way to support them. And then when they come back, some time off in lieu. If they've been travelling for days, give them some time off. Let them work from home for a few days so that they can settle in and be present for their families because I think that's really important and overlooked. And what about in the family? What is the best way for people to handle jet lag within the family? I think, look, a bit of support and also awareness that people might be grumpy. This is not the time to have a deep, meaningful conversation. If someone's just got back from overseas the we have to talk conversations shouldn't happen. Let them slide for a bit because they're not going to be in a great space. You know those we have to talk conversations? Yeah. Hold off on them and understand that they're physically and emotionally a bit challenged. And so it it does seem a little unfair right now that there's mum or dad sort of sleeping all the time and the other parents looking after the kids. So that's a thing to, to look at for on the home front. And it means communicating, frankly, especially with children, communicate, this is what's happened. Mum or dad's been travelling a lot. They're going to be tired and they're going to be jet lagged and this is how it's going to look. So having that honest communication uh, and just being supportive. It's like, okay, you want to sleep? Okay, you go sleep. Let them sleep. And hopefully you don't have someone taking to your trees with a chainsaw while you're sleeping. <laughs> Yeah. It is difficult though, isn't it? Because if your partner's been away for a couple of weeks and you've been left with the kids or stuff's gone wrong, your mum's been taken into hospital, the dog's died and you just want your partner to get back so that you can just take a bit of break yourself. And that's a lot of the problem, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You've been holding the fort for two weeks and now you're expected to hold it for another week or two. There's a challenge. And I think acknowledging that cost 
is a huge thing. It's, it's like, this is how it's going to go. And it may be that either find a role with less travel or find a way to make it work. And it, it may be pulling out all the jet lag tricks that I mentioned, like sunlight being the big one up front so that people are supported when they travel back to Australia. Absolutely. But I think honest communication and taking the emotion out of it. And this is the fact. Look, I've just arrived from Dubai and I'm absolutely wrecked. The flight was terrible. There were screaming kids behind me. Honest communication, I think, is just so important. But yeah, and I, I can imagine how frustrating and difficult it is for the partner left behind, especially if there's kids involved and mum's in the hospital and the dog's died and Little Johnny's been an absolute hell raiser, <laughs> all this sort of thing. So, yeah, that that is a, a difficulty and it does have an impact on family life. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, because I'm just thinking if it would almost be better in a way if the partner, the one that had been travelling, actually stayed somewhere else when they got back because while they're in the house and they're jet lagged, it's you're here but you're not. <laughs> Look, I, I, I think it's you're here, but you're not, but it, it doesn't go straight from you're here, but you're not to you're here. There's a drifting in. And I, if, if someone's really irritable, sure, let them stay in a hotel for a few days. That's fine. But I think having that normal home environment is going to help someone reestablish their rhythm and being part of that, even if it means just something basic like being able to put a load of washing on. It, someone who's jet lagged, they can help with that. You don't need a lot of brain capacity to put on a load of washing it it's not <laughs> so let them ease into family life because i think it's nice for the jet lag person to have family around generally speaking and i think it, it's nice even though and just had that on hey dad's a bit grumpy right now he's a bit tired because he's been flying he's been traveling and just explaining that honestly and that's just part of that life yeah that's, that would be my thoughts on the matter. Is there a time frame, the more time zones you cross, the more days it takes you to recover? What is that ratio? I have heard a day for every time zone crossed. I have heard that, which gives you a maximum of 12, but that doesn't factor in the direction of travel and it doesn't factor in how well you travel as well. So like I said, when I flew to Paris, I got off the plane. I'm good. I went outside during the breaks, but I was pretty good. Flying back from Paris, so that's, I think it's about nine time zones. And I managed to, I threw everything at it and I was good in three. But previously, I'd flown from London, which is 10 time zones, and I'd be struggling for a fortnight. So that number, it's not like a hard fixed number by any means. It's very malleable. And if you throw things at it, you can really reduce those numbers. Generally speaking, day two, day three are the worst. You come back, you feel fine. And then the next day, oh, I'm not so fine. <laughs> There's a little bit of delay in that. And I think with the travel, with I've got to get on the plane and all that, adrenaline kicks in and there's a lot of survival mode. Airports can be scary places. Let's face it, the quite intimidating you've got security clearances and make sure you get to the right gate and transferring flights and then do I find anything edible in an airport or is it all greasy fast food all that sort of thing add stress 
So I think your adrenaline spikes when you're traveling. And it, it can take a couple of days for the jet lag to kick in. So, yeah, I have heard an hour as a time zone, but a day a time zone, but very easily changed number. What can we do to help prevent? Is there anything we can do to help prevent us getting jet lag? I've got this wonderful little device right here. These are an Australian invention, and it looks like I'm going to a rave in the 90s, but I don't know if you can see any green light in there. Oh, yeah. They've got little... There's little bluish green lights, and those lights are actually the frequency. Remember I talked about in the eyes we've got receptors that pick daylight? This is the frequency of light that they respond to. So it's a bluish-green coloured light. And they're designed to wake you up. So you can put these on. You can see now, and it highlights your crow's feet beautifully, but you put these on. Let's say you're flying to London, it's nighttime here in Australia, but it's going to be daytime in London and you want to adjust that. You put these on and then that, this will wake you up. And so you can stay up a bit later or wake up a bit earlier, whatever you need to do. So these are great for that. These are retimer glasses. They were invented in Australia and they're manufactured in Australia. And no, I, I don't get any kickback or commission from them. I just think they're a really groovy little device. <laughs> There's a similar a lamp that's a Canadian invention. And again, it's the, the blue-green light. And this is something that empl large employees could possibly look at for their staff and to support their staff or even airlines. So like, you want to be awake, here's a lamp, here's some glasses, that sort of thing. So that's a little device that can help prevent jet lag before you go or at least minimise the impact. Is this on the same theory? Because the last time I went to the UK, they had the mood lighting. So there was different coloured lighting came on at different times in the journey. Is that the same kind of theory? Yes, it is. What they found that the light at the cool end of the spectrum tends to wake you up. And the light down at the warm end of the spectrum tends to not wake you up and can make you even make you sleepy. So that's the same sort of reasoning, the same sort of logic. But that's a, the bluey green is the peak. Like it's like a minty sort of colour. Mm. I don't know if that was clear in the camera. That is, is the peak of, of light that wakes you up. If you go, you don't want to get into a really deep indigo blue, that real royal blue. That light can actually damage your eyes. Really strong, that deep blue light. And this is a problem with the English language. We don't have enough words for blue because a sky blue light is fine. That cyan sky blue, that's perfectly fine. But that deep blue, that's not so good for the eyes. That can actually damage the eyes. So they want to minimise the impact of that. Wow, that's interesting. Is there, We're going to wrap up in a few mm. minutes. Is there anything else you want to say to people? Look, I say to people, look, the big thing about chronodiversity is don't fight your body clock. If you're a morning person, just roll with it and know that you don't want to be out late because your body's just not going to like that. If you're an evening person, allow yourself to sleep in and be productive later in the day. And the other things with jet lag, be aware this is biology. We are wired this way. We are human animals. And don't try to power through. There's this kind of almost macho culture 
And I, I bumped up against it in the interviews. People talked about soldiering on, pushing through, breaking through, all that sort of thing. Stop that. It's really unhealthy and literally unhealthy. They've done data on frequent travellers and increased cardiovascular and diabetes, not just for the travellers, but also the travellers' families. So, yeah, it has a real health impact on the families. So we need to transform the conversation around jet lag and say, hey, we need to support people. Don't just push through and soldier on, but just look, hey, do what you need to do to support. And to employers, I'd say, do what you need to do to support your workers. It's really important. You want to keep them. They're valuable people. The people who are willing to travel, the people who are willing to get on a plane, they're rare, okay? A lot of people just can't or won't do that. Look after them. And I think that's a conversation. Australia's a wonderful place, but we're a long way from those places. So we need to be aware of that. We're a long way from a lot of our business partners. So there's a lot of jet lag. So we need to look after our Australian workers who travel so far. And how can people get in touch with you, Steve? You've got about a gazillion things on the go at the moment. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I've, I've just written the book, developing the app, and then I'm doing all the other websites. But the primary website is www.jetlagguy.com.au. So that's the best way to get hold of me there. You can see what I've done. I'll put a link to the podcast on there when it's up. Great. Um, and what's your book about? My book is it's called End Jet Lag. Right. So that's pretty much it is what it says. And my vision is to have that selling in airport bookstores. So you imagine you're at the airport, you're on a, a big flight to the States or London or wherever, you see a book in the window, end jet lag, that's a shut up and take my money kind of moment. And you've got a long flight, you've got time to read the book. And then is that available, that book? Oh, I'm hoping by the end of the year. Great. The stars need to align for that, but I've done the first draft. We, but we will see. And, and the app, what's the app? The app is a jet lag guide, and it takes into account your own individual body clock, whether you're a morning person or an evening person, which I think is the first of its kind. So that's an exciting project. So we're in the final stages of that. We're beta testing the Android version. We have to have that as well as the Apple versions. Fine. So that should be rolled out in the next month or so. I've been setting up accounts and all that sort of things, which will be exciting. That will be exciting. And they'll all be available on the website, the Jet Lag Guy website. That will be. And it'll have its own website and I'll link to that and it'll all be available. We'll be setting up the links for that, no problem at all. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much, Steve. Thank you, Karen. It's been a delight to talk with you today. I know. And hopefully this podcast comes out just at the same time as the app. Fingers crossed. I'm thinking the app, yeah, I'm thinking that's about when the app will come out. So we're working on it. So we're in the final stages. So that's good. Thanks so much and hope, good luck with it all. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. 
And don't forget, if you've been thinking how great it would be to have your own podcast so that you can interview guests and speak to people about the topics that you're interested in personally, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is for you to start podcasting. There's a download on how to start a podcast for free waiting there for you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.